welcome to Tea and K-Drama here on the Tea and Gauntlets Network, a show where two best friends sit down and watch K-Dramas. We laugh, drink tea, and most of the time, you'll have the characters we love to hate. Let's get into the good stuff. Kat, you look so cozy in your wearable blanket. It is the best. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. As you should be. The fact that it has a hood, it's props to props to that. Was it was it a Christmas gift? And it's got like fluffy, yeah, it was from Thomas and Alyssa. It's got fluffy, like fleecy, like super soft stuff on the inside. And then the outside is super soft too. It's just like not fleecy like that. I mean, it is sort of fleecy, but I don't know, whatever. I love it. I love it. It's so good. And we're here. We're here. We're here for episode six. What today, my dear cat, do you have for your tea? Um, today I am drinking vanilla almond with milk and sugar because if there is any tea with a black base, I always add milk and sugar because I'm an addict, I guess. I don't know. That's just the way I always did it. <laughs> what about you? Cat, I love you so much. I also am drinking the vanilla almond tea. Amazing. Yes. However, mine, I have it with uh, vanilla almond milk. I did a little sprinkle of cinnamon on top. I attempted to make a latte. I failed royally, but I have a good deal of foam. Okay. Okay. Did you, um, you know, the thing, there's like the metal circular, like spinny thing. And then there's a little black thing that's more like a bar that's inside of the circular metal spinny thing to froth it. So for the frother, I didn't use one of the plug-in ones like what you have. I used, we have this little espresso machine and it's got a proper steaming tube on the side. And so I had Christopher steam it for me because he knows what he's doing. And I, I, I think I need to learn how to do a proper tea latte because the tea is not mixed well with my milk. I want it to be one and it is not one. Interesting. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I also use dairy milk. I don't use almond milk. So there's a lot more like fat and creaminess and it blends better, I think. But um, I think you may be right. So this is perhaps the start of my learning to make a proper tea latte journey. Who knows? I'm, I'm here for it. I'm excited for you and I support you. I fully support you on this journey. Thank you. Thank you. It's good. It's, it's nice to know that I still have room to grow uh, as, a, as a human being. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm ready to brace it. Excellent. All right, Kat, let's talk about episode six of Boys Over Flowers. So to recap, kind of like the main points of what happened in the episode, we start off with John D somehow nearly drowning, even though she's an expert swimmer. And they don't really tell us how she almost drowned. It's just she almost drowned. She got a cramp. Oh. Yeah. The translation put it as pins and needles, which I think was a little confusing. But she got a cramp. <laughs> In her leg. And that is why she was drowning. Oh, I have been thinking about this for like two days. And I was like, pins and needles? Was it some sort of like fish she stepped on that's known in the area that I just don't know about it? And it completely incapacitated her? But no, she had a cramp. Yes. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a, a leg cramp. Um, oh, that makes so much more yeah. sense now. I was so <laughs> confused that they just yeah. like glossed over it. <laughs> because Gu Pyo even like, he like berated her afterwards. He's like, "You're a professional swimmer. Like, how could you? How could you almost drown? Like, you know, because he was mad at her for being in trouble." 
Yeah, and I agreed with him. I was like, yeah, how could you almost drown? Pins and needles. Obviously, you avoid those. Why would you do something so amateur but a cramp? Well, I mean, what can you do? They're just, they're silly teenagers. They they can't avoid cramps like the rest <laughs> of us. Uh, cramp-free life. Could you imagine? Oh, What a fucking dream. I I would pay some serious money for that. However, that that drowning incident, now we know, due to a cramp, did trigger in Joan Pio PTSD of him nearly drowning. Yes, which is an important point because um, Gu Pio, as we remember from before, he can't swim. So he sort of realizes what's going on um, and he goes out into the water, into like the shallows, and then he stops. He's having like an episode. And then who shoots right past him? <laughs> Our little Jesus. orange-haired wonder, whose name I forgot again. Who's the other guy? Jihu. Jihu. Okay. Oh, so Kat, I, yes. I being a good friend to you, I so uh, Junpyo is F1. F2 is Jihu. I looked up the names because I kept losing track of who F3 and F4 were, and I have them written down for us. Let me fetch them. One second. Oh, bless you. You're welcome. Blessings. <laughs> Blessings. Okay, okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna write a little character list here so that I don't forget what they're doing. Because <laughs> we watch like an episode a week, and I I just I forget them. Well, and F three and F four only now are starting to appear more regularly in the episodes. We glossed over them. I feel like in the first two to three episodes. So now we're seeing them more regularly. But I f- I feel that we're not seeing them. In cases where their names need to be used, because all the guys just talk to each other. It's like not really like, oh hey, Jihu. It's more like, yo. And then they start talking. So Right. And also they often use um not with each other, but like some of the other characters, they often use honorifics. Like um uh like John D often calls Jihu Sunbei. And mm-hmm. that means like um uh like male uh, uh, who's in the same sort of organization that I am, who's sort of more senior. So, like, in, in their terms, they're in the same school, so he's also a fellow student. But Sunbay could be used in, like, a workplace environment as well. I think, I think, if I've got that right. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. So, who is, what is uh, F3's name? F3, so, to clarify, F3 is the one who's a bit of a playboy who's been talking with John D's best friend, Gail. And he is, uh, he's, he's, his, his name is Yi Jung. And then our still mysterious F4 then, and I believe F4 is the one who is the artist. His name is Wu Bin. Uh, wrong, actually. F3 is the artist. He's the <gasps> one who's like a ceramic artist. F4 is the guy who's like from this potentially like criminal, like gangster family. Oh. Yes. But yes. we we don't we never hear him talk. <laughs> he is pretty practically not even a character at all. So he's just he's just an NPC. So um, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm we got plenty of episodes left to the season, so I'm sure we're going to rope him in. So those are our four for F four. Got it. Copy that. I wrote them down. <laughs> so we're <laughs> we can continue this episode without saying orange haired wonder boy. You're welcome. <laughs> So, uh, I forget how oh, we got onto yes. that topic. Okay, um, I remember. Okay, so 
So Gudrun Pyo um, is good go. He tries to save her from drowning, sort of, but he panics in the shallows because he can't swim. So this is for the best because he would have just also drowned. So good job. Yes. Um, but as he panics in the shallows, Ji Hu, who is her original crush um, and Gudrun Pyo's best friend, uh, runs past and saves her and and carries her out. You know, in a in a Fireman style, like just, just, just great. Um, so he carries her out, and is there a is there a CPR moment as well? Is there any mouth to mouth going on? No, no CPR, no mouth to mouth. It's not like when she saved. It's not when like when John D saved Jim Pyo from the swimming pool that there's a resuscitation. How many drownings? I know this is you know everyone's life is at risk every other half hour. I feel like. For real. So we do we do learn then that bit with more about Junpyo's not being able to swim. They actually gave him a really good reason as to why he can't swim because I did think that was weird. So we learned more about that, and then we did have more reintroduction of hey, Jihu's here, and there's that kind of pushing together of him and John D. Be like, oh hey. You're together. You're in the same space. He saved your life. Potential romance. So that's how we start off with the episode. And then another thing that happens is that Gail lets slip to Yi Jung, uh, formerly known as F3, <laughs> that John D has a crush on another who may be her soulmate, as foretold by a potentially real but most likely fake fortune teller. Because it was a dream, we think. <laughs> Anything could have happened. We know nothing. <laughs> so that that uh, tidbit being let slip to Yi Jung has him now kind of like poking a prodding at Gail. I'll be like, hey, tell me more. Because he's trying to dig more information about a potential, I don't know, heartbreak in store for Jung Pyo. I feel like he's trying to have Jung Pyo's back by digging for this information. I agree. Um, I think that so... They are very commonly sort of like misreading the situation in terms of like who has a crush on who and you know what's going on here. They're they're always wrong, basically, um, unless they're told clearly from the person involved. So we we just we can't assume that anybody is reading, you know, context clues because they're they're going to fail miserably. Um, but that's what keeps our plot alive, right? Um so uh yeah, so Gayu so uh Yi Zhang thinks that Gayul has a crush on Gujun Pyo. And so he, which I certainly didn't realize before, but he says something about this. And he's like, why, um, you know, like, why were you, why were you so happy at the thought of like something going wrong between your best friend and Gujun Pyo? Um, and he's like, because you like him. And she's like, no. I don't like it. What are you talking about? Like she, and then, and so that's, that's when she kind of lets slip that, uh, um, that John D actually, she, she likes somebody else. So she doesn't say Jihu's name, but that's definitely who she's talking about. And so she kind of lets that slip. And so then Yi Zhang is like, whoa, 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 I got to look out for my boy, you know? And so that's, that's kind of where that's going on. Which makes sense because Junpyo is really in this episode making 
more concentrated efforts to show John D, as he calls it, like to show her his heart, mm-hmm. like literally and figuratively. So he does things like he makes dinner for them after he has that PTSD and feels bad that he couldn't help her from drowning. He helps. Did he Did he make dinner for them? I think that might be an exaggeration. I'm pretty sure he ordered dinner for them. To be fair, he did chop some things and assist. Granted, there were four other chefs, I think, in that kitchen. But he was there. He he put some you know effort. He burned some calories All right. putting this together. And to help put together a feast. <laughs> <laughs> so he he is making efforts through that. And then they go on this sweet helicopter ride. And they fly over, I think, what is like a swamp? And there's literally a heart-shaped area in that swamp. And he's trying to get her to see like, hey, this is my heart. Like, do you see it? He's like, he's like, I, the first time I saw this, I promised myself that you know, I would bring the girl, I don't think he was this explicit, but he was like, basically, I would bring the girl that I liked over here and show her my heart. <laughs> Do it's you so see cute. my heart, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was great. It was cute. And then also, he gives her this ankle bracelet, which yes. we learn at the end of the episode from Gail that these bracelets were given to people with the condition that they're to be given to the one they love. Of course, John D doesn't know about this right off the bat because she then goes and loses it and lies to Jin Pyo about losing it. Yeah, that was that was honestly that was the main drama of this episode. Most of the episode took place on the island, New Caledonia. And um yeah, so Gu Jin Pyo is trying to continue to show her that he really likes her. He do- okay, I thought it was really interesting. He did say at one point cuz I th- he kind of like looked at her like he was going to kiss her he wanted to sort of move in or whatever and she like panicked and sort of like flinched <laughs> what a romance am i right <laughs> and um and he and he said something like don't make me wait too long you know and it was just it was i thought that was a really interesting moment because it really showed that he he recognizes that she is not invested in this relationship that he has dragged her into this relationship and for his own ends and her thoughts and feelings have really had nothing to do with it and so and he 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 basically admits that by saying this and and then at the same time he's so he he throws a hissy fit you know anytime something happens where he thinks that oh you know she's She's betrayed me in this horrible way. Like, give me a break. It was funny when that scene where he gives her the ankle bracelet, she thinks they're going to, you know, do the deed. And then I realize, see the flashback to the fortune teller, like, oh, you're going to lose something as a woman. And, oh my gosh, she was thinking that she's going to lose her virginity straight up. And then it turns out she loses the bracelet. So I like how they segued through that because it was so ominous the way the fortune teller said it. You know, I didn't even connect the fact that she did, in fact, lose something that sort of somewhat meant something to her as a woman. And it was not her virginity. It was this bracelet. I didn't even connect that, like, there was truth. Uh, It turned out that there was, like, actual physical truth to what the fortune teller said. Um, Because I was still thinking of her as basically... (laughs) A dream, which I guess we don't 
we still don't really know if she was or wasn't. I don't, I'm so confused. You know, I honestly don't know if it was a dream, it wasn't a dream. But what I do know is that John D and Gail are feeling elements of what that fortune teller said to becoming truth. Mm. So because two of the characters believe it, I think that's what matters more than whether it was or wasn't it, because then it could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Not that John D can like purposely lose a bracelet, but the fact that it did happen, I think is meant to lend some weight to like what this fortune teller's prediction was, has some, has some basis. Maybe it wasn't a dream, um, but they just like, they both took naps like right afterward and then they and then they sort of woke up startled at the same time i don't maybe because they were thinking about what had just happened i don't know i don't know but i think they believe element of element of it was truth and then so another thing that comes up in this episode that we have learned is that g who has given up his love for sihyeon he is done with it he has told john d this well we kind of knew that though because he came back otherwise he'd still be there we knew that but we didn't know that it was because he was there and realized he had nothing there for him other than her and he was feeling almost like a lamppost because he would wait at the apartment for her to come back he had nothing to do he was no one he was nothing he was just there that's true that's true we got sort of more of his emotional perspective of what it was like for him while he was there and she had friends she had connections she had a job she had things to do and he was literally just he didn't know anyone in paris except for her he was just like waiting around for her to like have time to see him and he hated that he hated he hated it because it was he it made him feel pathetic and he also hated it because as he put it he was essentially a burden on the person that he loved and he that wasn't okay with him in any way. And so he ended up coming back. So actually you're, you're right. I, I, I take that. I walk that back. He came back, not necessarily because he's magically over this crush that he had had for like his entire life since he was like three years old. Um, but he, he left because he, he, it wasn't going anywhere and he didn't want to be a burden on her and it clearly wasn't going to go anywhere. He has something insightful too about himself because he said that he had been loving Sihyong out of habit. Yeah. I thought that was really good for him to recognize that. Agreed. Because in this episode, he had multiple moments where he was off in the distance, kind of not necessarily moping, but something like was like very deep, very reflective. Like he wasn't necessarily present with his surroundings because he was turning things over in his head that were more of a melancholy nature. And I think it was all those things he learned about himself and not just leaving Sihyong that he's been chewing on these last few days. Yeah. But then all that reflection acquired for himself, he then tells John D he's got feelings for her. He wants to have feelings for her. Cause there was a line where he said like, like, you know, why can't I love a girl like you? Like, why couldn't I fall for a girl like you? Like something like that. I think that it was a little bit more of, he's always liked her in a non-romantic sense. You know, uh, he's always, she's always amused him. You know, he's, he's rescued her from a, a million different situations. He's always like enjoyed her, but I, I think that he's at this point in time, he's trying to, 
he realizes that the love that he had before with Sohyun was like not really healthy for him and he wants somebody who's going to reciprocate back. So he he's I think he's trying to like push things and and just see if like push past his feelings for Sohyun and just see if like maybe something could happen cuz I I mean he, I I think that he knows that she likes him, but I could be wrong because they all seem to be wrong about this all the time. What do you what do you think? I I did not get that read on it. I I mm. took it as he he was saying, "Why couldn't I have fallen for a girl like you?" To be like, "Why like where? Why couldn't I have seen you earlier and not had to go through all this? Oh, and had to have this unhealthy relationship, have these years potentially maybe even wasted because he was longing for something that wasn't real. He maybe more like he left an idea and he wanted someone real before him." And just to put the objective reality perspective back on this, let's remember that he's like 17. So yeah, he wasted his whole life. Well, <laughs> Kat, what are you saying? 17 is the paramount of your romantic life. Don't you know this? Everyone knows this. After 18, you're done. You are correct. What am I thinking? 17, the pinnacle of, I mean, listen, 17, I mean, that's like peak Mary Kay internationally movie time. Like that, that you're right. That is, that is the peak of teen romance. It does not get better. <laughs> oh, and it, it, you know, it's so true. And that this episode again had Mary Kate and Ashley written all over it with the dancings on the beach and all the, the things they do from helicopters to kayaking to sailing. It had, what was it that I called it? It, it had uh, TripAdvisor vibes all mm. over this episode. I felt, uh, I, I felt a distinct uh, note of um, Bachelor. It felt very much like, like the Bachelor to me with the, the helicopter rides and like the, you know, setting up the perfect date and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It just, that's what it reminded me of. But maybe that's because, maybe that's because the new season of The Bachelor just started and I have watched it. I mean, for all we know, The Bachelor is walking in Boys Over Flowers' footsteps. They did have a romantic brunch, lunch, something on the beach at the beginning of the episode. True. True. Hair was blowing in the wind. It was great. Maybe. And I lost my train of thought. Oh, so uh, so we learned all that with Jihu and what he's been going through. Now taking that back to John D, who's come across Jihu several times in these reflective states and have kind of quiet moments together of, I don't know, it's kind of like a weird sort of being there for each other without actually talking about what's going on until they finally do when he says, oh, hey, I've left Sihyong. And then John D is feeling really guilty because she feels like her wish came true because she wished that Sihyong would marry a prince or a prime minister. And it turns out that she's actually seeing someone who's about to become prime minister. So then John D takes guilt upon herself for like ruining Jihoo's life, which was not deserved on her part. I think people are responsible for their own choices, but... I don't I don't know what you're talking about. That's that's absurd, Rachel. How could you have this takeaway? <laughs> no one is responsible for their own choices. So a random wish uh, a random wish is what detects everything that you say when you look at a an ad on the street side. Oh yeah, it defines defines our lives for sure. Uh, but just to take okay, so to 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 wrap this wrap this back around to the plot of the episode. Um, so they have been having these sort of like quiet moments, like sort of away from the rest of the group. And they're kind of, there's, you know, somewhat, uh, they're, they're, they're emotionally intimate, if not romantically intimate. And uh, it's at one of these, um, which is like the same night that uh, Gu Jun Pyo gives John D the bracelet. 
she goes out that same night. She's wearing the bracelet on, on her ankle. It's like an anklet. And she it, it, it comes off somehow while she's talking to Jihoo. And she doesn't realize, like, when she's lost it or she doesn't know, you know, what happened. But Jihoo finds it and puts it around his wrist. And Gu Junpyo sees it the next day at breakfast and recognizes it immediately and is like, Oh, where did you get that? And he's like, oh, it's it's John Dee's. She, you know, she dropped it the other night or whatever. And meanwhile, he had already noticed that John Dee wasn't wearing it anymore. And he's like, where's your bracelet? And she's like, oh, I um, I I, le- I left it in the room. I wouldn't lose it, uh, you know, because she's panicking, thinking that she can maybe find it somewhere. <sighs> what a mess. And so then Gu Junpyo is like, okay, so she lied to me. That sucks. And she's hanging out with my best friend. And that, and she lied about it. That makes me feel really weird. And it's just oh, so much drama. And then on top of the breakfast, when Jihoo is wearing the bracelet, he takes it off and gives it to Junpyo. Be like, oh, give this to John D. Tell her it's from me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all the feels. Oh. So, yes, John D lies twice to Junpyo, once about being alone while she's off for a walk when she had been spending time with Jihu, And then the second time when she's saying, oh, I left the bracelet in the room. But when really, she, she knew lost she lost it. it. Yeah. yeah. And she knew she lost it because she has that scene where she notices it's gone. And then they go horseback riding. And then he asks her. She's like, oh, it's in the room. No, she lies twice. So that accumulates to how to put it. So Junpyo gets the suspicions, which he starts to put together with a plane of volleyball. And he gets smacked in the face royally in the nose and starts bleeding out. But he's put together that John D was lying and there's something, there's something going on behind his back. Starts bleeding out. He gets, <laughs> he gets, he gets a nosebleed and he... He does get whacked in the face with a volleyball or whatever. He gets a nosebleed. Uh, yeah. And then he and then he basically, like, passes out on the stage. It was the most dramatic. <laughs> Whenever anyone is injured in this show, it is the most dramatic thing ever. They're all basically dead. Oh, it's great. Sorry. Keep going. Hold up. So, okay. Junpyo has put together suspicions over John D. Yes. That night, John D finds Jihoo... On yes. the beach, under the moonlight, and then Jihoo kisses her, which was uh, I, I unexpected. My, my pencil, I was squealing. I was like, "Oh my gosh, what the drama? Oh, the drama!" And then, and then, right as they're kissing, Junpyo walks right up to up. them. He sees them mouth to mouth. And to be fair, this was a very chaste kiss. Like there was no, it was like lip to lip, but there was like no movement. Okay, but he sees them and he swings at Jihoo. Oh my god, the drama. He swings at Jihoo. He basically says that everyone has betrayed him and he hates everyone. And then, and then the next, uh, and he's, oh my god. And he's like, I, you know, I was trying to be patient with you to John D. He's like, I was trying to like, like, not get angry and not get suspicious and you know hope that there was some other explanation and I was trying to just like show like be good to you and show you how much I care about you and blah 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 but you betrayed me and and is this you know are you going to are you going to try and say that this is like the other time when you didn't actually betray me and you were set up like were you set up and she's like no but that's but this isn't exactly you know you don't understand all the nuances and he's like I don't care and then they end up 
whatever, they end up like going back to school and, and he makes this announcement. He makes this announcement to the whole school wearing his his very dramatic fur coat. And he's got he's got the other so he's got like F3 and F4 behind him. He's got the other two boys behind him. And and he's like, okay, school. Just so you know. John D and Jihu are being expelled and they'll be out within the week. He's kicking them out of school. And then the other two boys, F3 and F4, look at him and they're like, wait, what? So he dragged them in for this announcement. And they had no idea what was happening. It was great. It was beautiful. It was it was jam-packed those last those last moments of the episode because it's they're kicked out of school and Junpyo is kicking Jihu out of F4. F4 oh, yeah. is now becoming F3 and it's it's all falling apart. It was this episode started off slow but then it ramps up toward the end. So as a whole, I think for me the episode was probably being 8. I lost my mind over when Jihu hugs John D because I thought I was going to kiss her. I was like, oh, why didn't he kiss her? And then when he did kiss her, I was like, I was losing my mind. Oh my gosh, I know. Yes, it was really good. I, I will, yes, I want to uh, I want to take into account that it started kind of slow and I was getting kind of like over the whole New Caledonia thing because, you know, I want to, I want to get back into like, I want to get back like into the action. I think eight is a, is a solid, is a solid assessment there. There were some very exciting things that happened, and we left on a nice cliffhanger. So, uh, okay, so just to wrap things up totally, so Gujin Pyo basically told them that they were expelled, um, and Jihoo was out of F4. And um, But then there's, like, one more conversation between John D and Jihoo, and... It was really, it was sweet. I mean, their moments are always sweet. Like, that's what I kind of love about them is they're just so freaking cute together. And I want them to work out. Uh, Gu Pyo is such a drama queen, and I just want her to end up with you. <laughs> but anyway, and, uh, and but Jihoo is like, he's basically like, don't worry about it. Like, I care about, like, I'm going to take action and, like, fight this out because... I care about you. Like I'm protecting you. Like he's like I have I have something else to fight for. And he's not going to just let her. Like he knows they all know that she's poor. Like he's not going to let her just like get kicked out of school and get all of these opportunities taken away from her and have Gujin Pyo ruin her life. So yeah, and I oh, I just want to see what happens between them. So it was a really it was a really good ending for me. Yes, Jihu made some real real progress in understanding what really matters. And I think he even mentioned to John D that like, oh, being an F4, that, that stuff doesn't matter. He's he's starting to get the priorities straightened out properly for life. Mm -hmm. So on, on that point, I'm very proud of him. Yes. Good job. Now, if only he can get rid of his orange hair. <laughs> <laughs> never. Oh, Kat, boy. Never. The Link style violin playing music video. We need, we need that. We need that in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> There but yes, I think that was one of the interesting things for me was in this episode was, you know, the falling apart of F4 because it, you mentioned this earlier, how you would want to see them really come at it and falling out over something like in this case, John D because they've had such a tight knit group. But in this episode, at the end of it, you know, Junpyo is trying to kick Jihoo out of F4. And then so Yi Jung and Wu Bin 
both have individual conversations. Uh, Wu Bin goes to talk to Jung Pyo and be like, hey, like, what are you doing? This is crazy. And Jung Pyo is just like, this is what's going to be, or otherwise I'll kick you out too. And then we're honestly on our way to becoming F1 at that point. And Yi Jung goes to have like a real uh, a real conversation with Jihoo, be like, what are you doing? You knew that Jung Pyo likes her and that they were kind of a thing. Like, why would you do this to him? Yeah. And I really was glad that Yi Jung did that, that he stepped up and kind of called out Jihoo for any potential behest he might have behind his actions. Mm-hmm. Because it's valid. I mean, is Jihoo, like you're saying earlier, like maybe he doesn't really have feelings for John D to the strength or level that she would hope or that we would hope for her. Is this sort of kind of like a way of making himself feel better and kind of coping after C. Young or are these real feelings? We don't know, but neither do the other two in F4. So like I appreciated one of them trying to really assess and get straight talk from Jihoo, be like, what are you doing? Why would you do this? It really is throwing a huge wrench into this friendship that's lasted since they were small children. They've been such a tight-knit group. And to, you know, kiss somebody else's girlfriend, I mean, that is a, that's a big, that is a big deal. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see the dynamics of the friendship among the four of them and then and to see yeah, just to, I I want to know like what is Jihoo going to do? How is he going to approach this problem and fix it? Gujun Pyo isn't going to do anything. You know, he's the one, you know, who's really upset. He's the one who's been betrayed. Uh he's, you know, so like what like what's going to happen? I don't know. I'm interested. Maybe. But one of my favorite lines came in that scene between Ji Young and Jihoo because Ji Young is calling Jihoo out. And his line that was, it was, if you had seduced my little sister and dumped her three days later, I wouldn't be as mad. As what you did just now by kissing John D. Yes. Yeah. That was pretty. And then <laughs> and then Jihoo is like, you don't have a little sister. And he's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Besides the point. But if I yeah. did, I'm more pissed now than I would theoretically have been then had I a sister who I do not have. Yeah. So I, I really liked seeing more of the relationship of F4 coming through. But you're right. Jihoo really threw a wrench into everything by kissing John D. Yeah, it really does feel kind of – it feels kind of out of character for him, honestly. Because I don't – he's not a playboy. He's had a crush on Sohyun for like his entire life. So he's not running around chasing after girls. He seems like a like a, a deep thinker, you know, kind of thoughtful and and philosophical and, you know, like he doesn't he's not he doesn't seem like he makes impulsive moves or has like emotional temper tantrums <laughs> like some characters, you know. So it's just it it does seem a little out of character for him to kiss her and take this action that really like really screws up friendships. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like, does that what, what does that say? Does that say that like, oh, maybe his feelings for her are really strong? Or does it say, oh, well, he's still so screwed up after So Young that he's just not even like thinking clearly? I don't know. I don't know where we're at. It's like, is he in is he in rebound stage and he's a bull in a china shop? Yeah. Trying to exercise his newfound freedom, emotional freedom from mm-hmm. that long-term love that he had or is he but with his best friend's girl come on yeah but to your point was she really his girl cat earlier like johnny's not really all into this and jihu's seeing that i know but i mean that i don't think that really matters because it's it's his, i mean his best friend who's you know his primary like that's the person that he should have the most loyalty to has obviously made it very clear that he's into her so you know. I'm just I'm just stirring the pot. I know cat. you're just devil's advocating. <laughs> <laughs> so it 
Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, Chihu and Junpyo, because earlier in the episode, you know, Chihu saves Johnny's life. He takes her sailing. He keeps kind of like facilitating, not that, well, not that anyone intends to save someone's life. That was a bit of like an out of the blue thing. But there's other things in the episode he does to kind of facilitate alone time and and closeness with John D. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting seeing that kind of rivalry come out between him and Junpyo. And then Junpyo really takes it really far, like that scene where they're kayaking. And then Junpyo's like, I'm going to kayak faster than you are. And he's just kayaking in circles. Oh, yeah, and that was he- funny. And then I think he realizes how far out in the water he is and that he can't swim. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then he gets mad and he, like, throws his paddle away. And then so he's trying to, like, lean over the side and paddle with his arms to, like, get his kayak back to his paddle. He just fit. He's a child. But, I mean, that was out out of jealousy because of, you know, he didn't know anything yet, but he was, like, definitely suspecting. (sighs) The ties that bind are not as tight as one would think. I know. He's just a baby. (laughs) Right. I'm too old for this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Kat, what was it that you said? We've had too much therapy for all these death threats or something? Oh, yeah. I know. I was like, I've had too much therapy to be, like, engaged by these these romantic antics and, like, fits and stuff. Because people are just, like, not being communicative at all. For real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Oh. On whole, it was a very entertaining episode. Yes. We gave it an 8. 8 out of 10. It's pretty good. 8 out of 10. Pretty solid. I do have a lingering question, though, in my head. Mm. And this is, you know, taking it back to the beginning. Yep. They do that story of, like, okay, so Junpyo has PTSD from nearly drowning. Uh, the yes. story of how he nearly drowned. So apparently his bodyguard slash driver who was, like, helping take care of and raise him was actually a criminal. And I think it was in a police chase. That bodyguard driver was driving and Junpyo was in the car. And during the police chase, the car got driven into a river. And that's when Junpyo nearly drowned. And so apparently he's been afraid of water ever since or something. Yeah, that was that was an interesting moment because I remember telling Rachel when we were watching... <laughs> That it was like it was really smart on on uh, on the part of the writers because it allowed Jihu to come in and 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 save John D when she needed saving like right under although just to be clear nobody needs saving she could never mind okay anyway feminism aside um, uh, uh, it allowed Jihu to come in and save her under Gujunpyo's nose when he was unable to and so it sort of like it like elevated Jihu over him in that moment and so that would have been as viewers who are trying to figure out which you know romantic relationship we want to cheer on like that would have put Gujunpyo down right but then we get this backstory, this like sympathetic backstory. It was a very save the cat kind of moment. Um, if anyone has ever read that book on on uh, filmmaking, and uh, yeah, and it really like it it elevated Gujumpyo like over uh, Jihu because he has this traumatic past that um, that makes him so sympathetic. So it's it was it was interesting. So, Kat, yes. here's my thought mm. that I've, I've kind of put a little bit of two and two together. I might be wrong, but I am curious if it's a thing. So, Jumpio's driver bodyguard was a criminal. How did he get past the screening of Jumpio's mom? Yeah, she is, a, she is one scary bitch. Hard to say. Oh, there's more. There's more. Okay. Now, somehow that criminal got past the screening of Jumpio's parents and was the bodyguard for Jumpio. Is this why Jumpio's mom is so concerned with who Jungpyo is spending time with. Because in this episode, she comes in, 
and the guy, her butler guy comes in. He's like, oh, he's in New Caledonia. And she's like, with who? Who are they? And then when Johnny's at the house, she wants to know everything about John D. Who are you? Why are you here? What's your yeah. family? Well, uh, okay. So this is an interesting point, but I do think that I, I, I think that maybe you're reading too much into it because I think that she is all after John D because Gujun Pio doesn't normally spend time with girls. Like he spends all his time with F4. And I do think that she is going to be intensely controlling about arranging a marriage for him, a suitable, you know, marriage, which, um, you know, enhances the family's business interests, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and so if Gujun Pyo is showing interest in a girl, then she needs to know, like, is she of marriageable prospects? Um, and if she's not, then I need to shut this down. So I really think that the main thing is is that. Although I don't know, you know, it could be it, maybe maybe this plays into it a little bit as well. This sort of maybe all of the control comes out of this kind of protective mechanism. But honestly, she is so freaking scary. Like I don't really know that we're gonna get a save the cat moment for her. I think she's just going to be scary. I think she's just going to be, you know, she's going to end up being some sort of like long-term villain. Okay. Well, until it's proven that she's just scary and <laughs> doesn't have that save the cat moment, I'm going to maybe hold on to my theory that it's all out of her own concern from that having failed Junpio's safety by hiring the wrong guy. Because it makes me feel a little less scared of her thinking that there's like a gummy bear deep down underneath all that ice and daggers. Yeah, I don't, I think she's, you know, I think she's just daggers. She's terrifying. Yeah, well, it was worth a shot trying to, you know, bring some peace of mind to me. Because whenever she showed up in this episode, it was, I think, almost halfway through. I was like, oh, she's back. She's back. Yeah, I know. It's, it is, it is genuinely terrifying wondering like how she's going to come into play as a character in the plot. I'm terrified to find out who, what happens next with her. I'm so scared of her finding out that John D is actually like poor and I have no idea what's going to happen. Oh, right. And that was another, that was actually speaking of parents, that was another moment in this episode when John D comes back and her folks are over the moon about how well they're doing, how great this is for them. And John D's, you know, she's had this kind of breakup with Junpyo and this emotional entwinement with Jihu. And she mm -hmm. goes back to her parents fantasizing about their future will be and how good it is and how they'll be the in-laws of a prince and she'll be a princess basically because Junpyo is considered the prince of business. Yeah. And um, well, what was it that, that John D said? She said, she said something to her parents along the lines of let that dream die. Like let's get real. Yeah. Like, be realistic. Like, that's not going to happen. Yeah, because she comes home, obviously, after everything has happened with Gu Junpyo catching them kissing and him being, you know, so angry and them having this showdown. So she's like, yeah, uh, don't hold out any hopes. Don't hold your breath. Yeah. But there was a cute moment with the with the parents earlier. Honestly, I think, is it? Yeah. No. Yes. I, I have two funniest moments from this episode okay one is when early in the episode the parents are in their apartment and they're pretending that they're on a tropical vacation like the mom is on a beach chair inside the house and then the dad comes out as the server to bring her a drink and she's like oh we put lotion on my legs it's like oh <laughs> they get all excited until like of course the other kid the, the son walks in and, and drops everything it, it was it was fun and then what sold it was that they had set up a giant yellow umbrella inside the apartment apparently they borrowed it from some vendor or whoever <laughs> and the little it's the son the son who comes in he interrupts them because he's like oh you know the fishmonger or whoever he says 
He says that you have to give the umbrella back if you're not going to like buy any fish. And then they're like, oh, <laughs> looks like tropical vacation is over. Time to pack up. It was pretty, it was pretty adorable. Yeah. And then the other, my other funny bit was, honestly, Kat, you're the one pointed this out. I thought I had misread it, but then you asked me if that's what it said. It was that magazine in the mom's <laughs> office, Jumpio's mom's office, with Jumpio's face on it. And it says, Borbs. It says Borbs. Like Forbes with a B. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. It was Gu Pyo, like in his fur on the cover. And he's like, oh, you know, the cover of Borbs magazine. I'm dead. It was framed. It, it was hilarious. It was so good. And that, that wasn't even, it, they didn't even talk about it. It was just there as a set decoration. And it was genius. Perfection. Speaking of favorites, for me, I would say that the most favorite dramatic moment of mine in this episode, seriously, was Jihoo kissing John D. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting that. I was not. I was not expecting that. So that was your okay. So that was your favorite dramatic moment. I. I mean, it's hard for me to argue with that. Like, that's pretty. I'm. I'm all in on on Jihoo and and John D getting together. But on the other hand, like, I'm torn because I was kind of. I was really shocked that he made that move. Oh, yeah. I feel that they are moving into moments that I thought would come up three or four episodes down the line. Yeah. And I get this idea in my head of like, oh, well, maybe this will happen, but it'll be a few episodes. No, no. It's the next episode. They pulled these moves on me. And now I'm like, well, okay. What? Here we are. Now What's what? What's going to happen next? <laughs> Yeah. Which is honestly, it's, it's brilliant how they're pulling this off because it's so grounded, even though it's quicker than I anticipated, the way they build all these little steps, it, it just pulls you right along into it. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that I really love about Korean dramas is that they don't like rush these moments. Like they let the little moments really matter and it's not like the characters are like rushing to have sex right away or anything like you know it's it's there's so much that happens in between and um and they do they do so much like like they're masters of the slow burn like that's that's what it is and i love it i'm so here for it the slow burn i just realized the the impact especially on jun pyo seeing jihoo and johnny kiss because not that it's okay for anyone to push a kiss on someone else but obviously he's really been wanting to kiss John D for Two or three episodes now. Yeah. And then he sees John D kissing Jihu and just imagining from his character's point of view, like the dagger to the heart of like, oh, she'll kiss Jihu, but not me. She won't kiss me. Yeah. And that that twisting of the knife as it goes into your ribs, like, oh Yeah. That's that would have been that would have been pretty rough. Yeah. No, and that's that's such a good point too, because I didn't quite I didn't quite pick up on that aspect of it. It's like, it's not just that she's like, oh, she's kissing somebody who's not me. You know, this is a betrayal. It's like, she has refused to kiss me and we're in a relationship and she's kissing somebody else. So it's, it, yeah, it really is sort of an elevated thing. Yeah, because they did, honestly, John D and she, uh, not she who, John D and Jim Pio did have cute moments in this episode. The, the beach brunch, the fireworks he sets up, he has these like heart fireworks go up over the sky and they kind of share cute little glasses at each other. Mm -hmm. And then that sweet moment where they're in the helicopter and he's asking her, do you see my heart? And which uh, for me, I think that moment was my biggest aww moment yeah. of this episode. It was, just, it was so cute. 
It was it was really cute. But I'm not a fan, just to go back to objective reality, I'm not a fan of the way that he's sort of like trying to manipulate her into liking him. I don't like this. I don't like all this pushiness, but it's fine. Everything's fine. But that's honestly, I think part of like the, the brilliance of the writing is that objectively, yes, it's the way he's going about it is heavy handed, low key manipulative, not okay. Even though he's no, earnestly trying to show his heart. It's pretty, pretty high key manipulative. I say low key because I think there's elements that happen in this episode that he does genuinely earnestly do to show her his heart that aren't as manipulative as the others. For example, when he's trying to help the chefs cook dinner and make sure that she has the biggest portion of the feast. I think that's a genuine thing for him and a new expression of him trying to show her his heart as opposed to like throwing money at her. Agreed. Agreed. That's fair. I do think that his feelings for her are genuinely deepening the more time that he spends with her and she becomes less an object to be one, you know, somebody who has not kowtowed to him for the first time. And so he's like, oh, I have to win you over. And and more of a, he sees her as a person and he he's very like interested and attracted to her as a person, as who she is. I do think that that's, that's definitely growing. And it does show in, in, his, in his actions and the way that he relates to her. I just think that a lot of the the way that he phrases things sometimes and like the just the way that he sort of goes about things he puts this sort of pressure on her this like he's just being so heavy-handed and i just i don't i don't like that he's pushed her into this like vocal you know very official relationship that everybody knows about it's very public when he knows that she's not even like into him he's just like staking a claim so that like nobody else will go after her except that apparently already happened ended up happening anyway but i i don't know i just i don't it just it's not i mean it's not healthy 1000% agree because he does exactly on your point he does in this episode tell her that he forbids her to go alone walking at night to go swimming basically like don't be alone because he's so worried about her safety which is not healthy and also not his business to he's, tell her he's that helicopter boyfriending that's what he's doing yes Absolutely. Not okay. Not cool. Don't treat people that you like that way. But my awe for that, that little like, oh, you know, for the heart moment when in the helicopter, the way I read that was as if that was one of those other moments where his, a kernel of his genuine self really trying to like earnestly show something yeah, kind of peeked through like with when he was cooking with the chefs. I think yeah. that was a second little moment, but the way they write this is really great because they bury those among all these other moments where he's telling her what to do, kind of controlling yes. the narrative yeah. of like, you know, what they're doing. Oh, we're going to go horseback riding. We're going to go ride a helicopter. We're going to do, you know, do all these things with his money. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. No, it's, it's interesting. Listen, I'm still pulled into the narrative. You know, I still want to find out what happens. I think that there are cute moments. I just, it's, it's hard for me to sort of separate from the objective reality. Like if this were happening in real life and if this weren't scripted, I would be very concerned about this relationship and and I would I would feel very concerned for her. And even though there is a genuine like romantic undercurrent on both sides, like people have mixed feelings. They're allowed to be confused. They're allowed to be pulled in like two different directions at the same time. And they're they should be allowed to figure something out on their own without all of this outside pressure. And I it's fine. We're going to keep watching. It's going to be great. But uh, this was clearly not written recently. This is very much a product of the pre 
Me Too movement. This is from the era of Twilight. And Kat, there's a reason we enjoy watching Twilight to roast it. I mean, we watched the whole series and we counted every red flag for all the characters in there. I think the max- We had a great time doing that. What was it? The max red flags that we counted for one movie was 64 or 68, something like that. I do not remember, but I do remember that we had to, we originally decided we were going to have a shot every time we saw a red flag. And then we had to move that to a shot every like five or 10 red flags. And then we decided it was just going to be like a sip of wine for a red flag. We had to keep downgrading the amount of alcohol that we were ingesting so that we wouldn't die because of the amount of red flags that were in these movies. <laughs> it was a good time. It was a good time. Would Would recommend. Thousand percent recommend. As you're saying, this is one of those experiences. It's gonna be red flags. We're gonna love it and hate it at the same time because we've had therapy and we've we've grown a lot as you know grownups. I think I would like to add uh, for our next episode, we can choose our you know maybe our our favorite or like most dramatic red flag moments, and then we can just add those in. Oh, I love that. I yes, I love that. That's a genius idea, and we will implement that for next episode episode seven episode seven yes cat what do you think is gonna happen in episode seven? Oh my gosh wow Ooh, i'm so excited i don't know well okay so i think that jihu is gonna do something he's gonna do something to sort of like try to repair things in some way i don't know what he can do i don't i have no ideas but i he's gonna something is gonna happen okay and and if things don't get like properly repaired by the end of this episode they're at least going to be on their way to being repaired because i don't think that he's going to get kicked out of the f4 i just i don't think that that's going to happen i think that that's that the 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 four of them like their friendship is too integral to just the overall plot and 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 background of of everything ooh i wonder if I wonder if we're going to, maybe we're going to see, I hope that this is going to be an episode that is very much focused on the three of them, on Gu Junpyo, John Dee, and Jihoo, and like the, that little triad and their relationships like among them. That's, that's what I hope for, but I would be interested to see if Gu Junpyo's mother comes back. I'm always interested to see what happens with her because she's terrifying. What, what do you think? I think that either John D or Jihoo are going to have a real heart-to-heart with Junpyo about what went down. Something that kind of makes them resolve the angst that's going on right now enough where they can be each other's presence and we can kind of move forward as a group. I don't think it's going to go so far as Jihoo and John D officially becoming an item. Wait, Jihoo and John D, um, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think it's too soon for them to be like, the official boyfriend-girlfriend after all that's going down with Junpyo. But I I predict that there'll be some sort of resolution for a large portion of all the messed up feelings for Junpyo so they can move forward in a way. Because what else might happen in the episode, I'm not sure. That's the only thing that comes to head right to my head right now because they keep pulling the rug out from under me because I'm like, ah, it's the way. It'll be fine. Oh, no, it's here. It's right now. All right. Well, officially, 8 out of 10 for episode 6. Excited for episode seven. Right on. Thanks for joining the Tea and K drama conversation. See you next time here on the Tea and Gauntlets Network. Uh-huh.